Joining me now is a dear, dear friend of mine. This dear, sweet man right here. Uh, Alan Zinsmeister, my broadcast partner. You're familiar with us on uh, CSUN Men's Basketball. Alan, thanks for taking part of your Friday and looking cool as always. You know, man, uh, the check is in the mail on that dear, sweet friend. That's back at you, Gazal. And uh, it is a nice Friday, man. It's kind of good to be to, to see you because uh, this staying in is uh, can can be tough. But uh, we're fortunate that we both seem to have our health. Yeah, it's it's a strange situation. We were talking last night. I just said, you know, hey, we just got to accept and count our blessings at this point and, you know, do our best to, to just uh, to be you know, to, to kind of just go day to day and just, you know, one day after the other, one day at a time, as they say. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for, for your beloved uh, Matadors program. We were so optimistic. We were together at the Anaheim Hilton on that Wednesday night before the tournament. It was uh, March 11th. The tournament was supposed to start on Thursday. Um, we leave the hotel room to go on the bus about 10 o'clock. We had a 10:20 bus and they told us, no, we're not playing. And I think you and I both kind of felt that way. We were together. We were watching ESPN, and we saw the NBA had kind of suspended the season, and we kind of looked at each other. You were more optimistic than I because they'd already decided to not play the games with any any fans. And there were no fans going to be at the Honda Center. Um, but take me through that, what the roller coaster emotionally was like for you that Wednesday night in Anaheim. You know, it's something because all you and I, uh, we get a chance, to, as you mentioned, to talk about uh, what we think is going to happen. And we were really excited. And the Matadors had done a good job finishing the season with four consecutive wins. So we're excited. We're ready to go. And then everything starts to transpire. And, and the next thing you know, now we're having our doubts. And then, well, maybe if the arena is empty, and that'll be a different experience. But uh, then when it finally uh, came to pass that everything was canceled, um, what for me, uh, I just kept thinking about the loss for the the, the players, that the fact that they're not going to get a chance to maybe c- continue to do what they had done. And and uh, we were fortunate enough to, to, to be with them and see the expressions on their faces uh, when they were able to get the news. And so it was just one of those times where I was very fortunate and glad to be a part of something so special and historic, but saddened uh, the same time because uh, this season was going to be over and these young men weren't going to get a chance to do what you and I thought they could probably do, which is win it all. Let's get to that point. Um, And I I discussed this with Terrell Gomez in the conversation I had with Terrell yesterday. They'd won six of their last eight. You mentioned they'd won their last four in a row. And what I told Terrell, it wasn't so much as that they had won, because they did. They played well, ended up 10-6, and six, second overall in the Big West due to the tiebreaker against Santa Barbara. But it was more how they won, and in particular, how they won those last three games, particularly uh, against Irvine on the road. Obviously, that's a big deal. They hadn't beaten Irvine on the road in 11 years. I don't think they'd beaten Irvine at all in 11 games. And then, to me, actually, and I told this to Terrell as well, I thought the home win at Hawaii was actually more impressive than the win against Irvine because you needed that one to finish in second place. Destiny was in your hands and they were able to take advantage of it. You know, I agree with you totally. And I did get a chance to see your interview or listen to your interview uh, with Terrell. And uh, 
for sure, the Matadors were, were playing well at the right time, but more importantly, they were playing together and they were starting to believe in themselves and winning games, close games, something that had, they had not been able to do earlier, I think was a testament to the fact that they were now believing in themselves, believing in what the coaches had been preaching. And uh, I actually thought that the coaching for the last half of the season was just so point on and spot on uh, for the team to bring out the best in the players. So uh, you know, it, it, it's just still it, it's tough. But you're right. The Matadors played a excellent game against Hawaii and Hawaii, by all accounts, should have won that basketball game in the first half because they were shooting so well. I mean, that that was reminiscent of, you know, Ali Frazier, the thriller in Manila. It's like Frazier threw everything he could at Ali and Ali was just enough, just had enough left. To, to finish that one, uh, to end that great trilogy of fights. That's how, how I saw it, because I thought the Bows played as inspired as I'd ever seen them play under Iran Ganat, and the Matadors were able to hold them off. Those were two good basketball teams playing that game on March 7th at the Matadome. Um, so I guess the next step from here, AZ, and I think you make a great point about Coach Gottfried and his staff, what a tremendous job they did over that last month with all the injuries and all the adversity that team had faced to get them all together on the same page to finally get them to where the, everybody believed the level they could play at. Yes. And, you know, I had a chance to talk with Coach Godfrey. We, I interviewed him prior to the tournament getting started. And, you know, uh, Coach is, is, is a pretty quiet guy. He's not really over the top with anything. But I actually looked at the, uh, some scenarios, the fact that he didn't have Lamine for the first 12 games, the fact that he lost so many players and Rocket and Kaba and uh, Artest and just, you know, uh, Miles Brook and so many losses to a team. I actually thought personally that might have been his best overall coaching that he's done because of the adversity. But, you know, he he didn't uh, respond to that. He just basically said, hey, you know, it was the kids. It was the guys. They just were playing hard and it's just basketball. But, uh, yeah, I thought the staff did a great job. Uh, now, you talked about Hawaii. I mean, Stansberry hitting seven three-pointers. I mean, he was just phenomenal in that game. And you've got Drew Bugs and you just got uh, Avea. That game proved to me why I thought that uh, the Matadors would have a really good chance of winning three in a row, uh, you know, in the tournament because there's no way Hawaii should have lost that basketball game. I really thought, to me, I was worried about that first game because Fullerton, athletically, they matched the Matadors pretty well, and they have the four seniors, the three guys from the 2018 tournament team, and then they had Cam who played well against the Matadors twice. But, you know, the Matadors were able to kind of beat them on the 29th, so there was a familiarity there. There was the confidence there. But you know that with Diedrich Taylor and Fullerton, they were going to get everything from Fullerton. But my thought was, hey, you beat Fullerton. It's the noon game. Now all of a sudden – you know, what you would have thought would have been a disadvantage in terms of the fatigue, you get a whole day and a half off before you got to play again, which plays into your advantage. And you just got to do the one night turnaround, you know, to play Thursday night, Friday night and Saturday night would have been a bit much. But the fact they got the early game was a huge advantage to them if they're able to win it because you get that whole day off your feet. And I thought what the coaching staff, you know, they're playing eight guys, Alan. And what they did is. Uh, probably the last month of the season, they really kind of 86 to number of those shoot arounds. And their, their thinking was, hey, if we have a good practice on Friday night, let's just keep them off their feet till they get to the arena and we'll go from there. 
you know, Gazal, you always had a way of understanding what rest meant for the Matadors. And I remember in, in a ball game, you were talking about how well their record was when they had rest. And I think as you bring up that point about that uh, afternoon game, they would have been able to be in a position to maybe get some more rest. So they would have been uh, at their best. So, uh, you know, when we look back and we think of all the scenarios that were falling uh, the way of the Matadors, it, uh, it looked like it was going to bode well for them uh, in the tournament. I think uh, just the fact that Terrell was playing so well, that Lamine was passing so well, that uh, Elijah Harkless literally was coming into his own. Uh, this was a team uh, that understood what it took to win. They started believing in themselves. You get a Darius Brown, the second who's as good a point guard as there is in a conference. So, um, you know, I, I know I'm kind of going back over it, but it's just heartbreaking that these young men didn't get a chance to to see if they could have uh, uh, had a wonderful three day tournament. All right. What a difference a month makes, huh? Um, so in the last few days, you know, we talked about Terrell already. Terrell Gomez heading to San Diego State as a grad transfer. Lamine Janay has announced that he's going to go to the NBA draft in 2020. And it's interesting because a number of the blogs I've read, they actually think he legitimately has a chance to get drafted. Um, you know, a couple of guys I'm reading who talk to scouts and, you know, you and I had talked to some of the scouts over the years because they would sit right next to us over the last two years. There are a number of teams that have been tracking Lamine since the middle of last year. And then obviously Elijah Harkless entering the portal, uh, you know, really changes the complexion of this team. Um, it's like, you know, I'm a fan of the band New Edition. You've heard me sing, sadly enough. Um, this is like Ralph Trezvan and Bobby Brown both leaving New Edition in terms of Lamine and Terrell. And then you got Elijah, who's like, you know, he's kind of like Ricky Bell, uh, you know, a very important member of the team. Uh, w what does this do? I mean, obviously, this is disappointing. You you, you figured Lamine was gone. But um, Terrell and Elijah, I thought there was a chance they could come back. Terrell simply... In terms of his legacy, he, he had the chance to be the best player ever in the history of the school. And Elijah had such a strong year as a sophomore, you'd think next year his role would have been expanded uh, after Lamine ha had left the team. I think what it does, Gazal, is just puts the coaching staff almost where they were when they first came to CSUN. They are now going to have a new squad. They're going to have to put together uh, some late additions, probably some grad transfers. Um, hopefully, um, you know, they might be able to still get uh, uh, Elijah back. I mean, he's in the portal, but he's not uh, committed as far as we know. Uh, but the coaching staff is going to have to really uh, get some late additions and, 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 and coach him up, so to speak. This is going to be a very uh, tough situation for the Matadors because you know, when you put the time and the energy into getting a team to buy into what you want to do, to get them to understand your offensive and defensive philosophy, and then when you lose so much of your scoring or potential with Elijah being gone as well, you start all over again. The coaching staff has to look at this as a, their biggest challenge. But uh, as Coach Godfrey says, this is not his first rodeo. He's got some experienced coaches, and they're just going to have to find a way to get the most out of the players who are coming back. And there's some talent coming back. It has to add some talent. But it's going to be tough. This is going to be a very tough offseason, especially with the fact that they can't really get out and recruit and do the things they would normally do because of the current pandemic. You had a chance to talk to Terrell Gomez yesterday. You care to share any elements of that conversation? 
you know, he was just so gracious. And uh, I, I, I told Terrell how much I appreciated uh, calling his games and, and, and getting a chance to see the type of character individual that he was. And I understood that this was a decision that was made uh, that took a lot of time. And, and uh, he put himself in a position uh, to, to, to make the call that he was going to to leave because he wanted to see himself win more. And uh, basically, I think he was saying, look, I knew it would, what it was like without Lamine for 12 games and we didn't do well. And the thought of uh, Lamine probably not being there was, I really think, the driving factor for him to make the move because winning is important to him as it is to, to everyone. And so I couldn't uh, be ha happier for him because he made a decision that he thought was best for him. But I'm saddened for Matador fans and for myself as a broadcaster because I would have loved to maybe to call his senior year. Uh, you and Elijah were particularly close, you know, in terms of a broadcaster player relationship. And you were kind of his guy. He'd always come over and, and make sure he, he said hey to you before every game. If you had a chance to speak with Elijah, what would you tell him right now? You know, each individual has to do what they feel is 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 best for themselves. And, and so I, I probably I wouldn't really say anything to him other than you have to go with your heart. But I also would say, you know, there there were people who believed in you in the very beginning, but maybe others didn't. And sometimes you also have to weigh that in your heart as well. Who loved me first, so to speak? So you weigh all those factors and then you, you, you know, you make your decision. And if you make the decision that you know in your heart is best for you, then you have to live with it one way or the other. But uh, uh, you know, Elijah proved uh, to himself, proved to the staff and proved to the basketball world that uh, it was a big three and not a, just a big two. If Elijah doesn't score those 30 points uh, against Irvine, uh, you know, the season doesn't look quite uh, as promising going into the tournament uh, as it did. But Elijah did do that. And Elijah is definitely a player and it's going to be sought after if he stays in the portal. But you know what? You can always come home. I'm sure the staff is telling him. I would bet that the coaching staff is letting Elijah know that no one's going to love him or care for him more than the staff at CSUN. The other and we discussed this, you know, we've discussed this off off camera. The other factor is, you know, with Terrell. He gets to go play right away. And, and and I think it's interesting how the the way the portal has worked now, because with scholarships being at such a premium now, and I, I talked to Power Five coaches in this regard, you know, they're more interested now in the grad transfer because it's a year commitment. You know, they can take a flyer on a guy for a year for a specific need, and then if it doesn't work, they're not committed to him anymore, and they can kind of go back and restock, you know. Um, whereas with Elijah, any team – that wants to uh, that wants to bring him in, he'd ideally have to sit for a year. Now, there's the rule. I think probably why he put his name in is potentially there's that rule in June where you can be a one-time transfer and play immediately if your academics are in order, which I, I don't know if the NCAA is going to do that or not, but obviously that would work to his advantage. So I think we probably won't know till June or July what Elijah's doing, particularly you know unless somebody really wants him and is going to pay for him to sit for a year. But I do think the, tra the transfer game has changed a little bit because particularly with teams that are contenders, Alan, you see they're not really jumping at transfers the way they used to. The transfers now seem to more be power fives down to mid-majors. Exactly. And, and, and for San Diego State, I mean, what a very fortunate pickup for them. Just to go back a little bit, what a fortunate pickup for them. Terrell Gomez is the absolute perfect call if you want to be able to, to have someone that, you know, you have a year on, you've got a chance to see three years of what you can do, understanding all the 
accolades and all the goals and all the uh, records that he set. So that's the perfect storm for a team like San Diego State. For the Matadors, they've got to hope that there's a perfect storm, that there's a a player at a high major who uh, maybe felt like I just quite didn't get the chance that I wanted. And now I'd like to be able to go to a CSUN and show them uh, that I can help them get over the hump. Uh, You know, I think about T.J. Starks, their transfer, who's going to be available next year. Maybe there might be another T.J. Starks type of individual that the Matadors might be able to 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 get hold of. But, yeah, it's a new day. It's a new time. Uh, I would not want to be in the coaching business because you can cultivate young men for two, three years and then they can decide that they want to make a change uh, at at, for their own personal reasons. And then uh, coaches have to start up again. So it's a tough time to be a coach. It's a great time if you're an excellent player or smart student to kind of control your own destiny. So uh, I'm in one sense, uh, the selfish part of me wants to always keep that great player. But the other part of me says, hey, if there's a young guy out there who understands the the value of a CSUN uh, education and the program, come on in and and join the program. To be fair to to, uh, Terrell and specifically, Terrell put himself in the position by graduating in three years. And, you know, he and and our, and, you know, we we're both big fans, Alex Sokol who's in, who's in the portal as well. And, and Jared Perry too. And he's not in the portal, but Alex, Jared, and Terrell, they came in together under Reggie Theus. They were actually roommates for a good time. I think they were roommates for two or three years. And Terrell, specifically, by graduating early, put himself in a position where he had the leverage. So I always, you know, I have to respect that because he gave himself options, as did both Alex and Jared. And um, it's true what you're saying is true about development. But at the same time, you know, I have no problem with players having leverage. And, you know, I talked to, you know, Terrell talked about that. He said, hey, if he was to advise somebody now, he's like, hey, get as many credits as you can. You know, take your credits in high school, take summer school. So at least if it comes to that, you have the option of being able to do that. And in fact, in our conversation, I'm sure you listened to it. He said the one thing he regrets is he would have taken more college credits in high school if he knew how much how much it would have helped out. Because I think he still needs a couple classes to finish over the summer. You know, Gazal, if if. I'm going to say this, and you and I, I I always kind of give you your props because you're good at what you do. But that part of the conversation I thought was the most telling part of the conversation and the kind of character that Terrell has. He was sharing, wanting young guys to know it's about the education. It's about taking control of your own destiny. And that's what every individual is supposed to do. And of all the things that he said, I was most impressed with the fact that he said, look, I could have graduated even earlier. I wanted I should have taken more classes and I would tell young guys, take more classes, do more for yourself so you could be in a position to decide what you want to do uh, at a later date. So, no, no begrudging at all. It's the wisest thing to do because every individual in business, coach or player, should always be able to put themselves in the best position to be marketable. Um, Because we hear a lot from people around basketball that it's a business, which which it is, obviously. But that that part of it, you know, that's something they tell players when things don't go their way. I don't think it, it's not a two-way street. To me, a business is a two-way street. You own a business, Alan. 
if I'm a customer of your business, it's a two-way street. We have a business relationship. We're we're transacting business. You know, I'm paying you money to take care of my insurance. You know, so you can't one day decide. Well, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to write your insurance anymore. Bye bye. There's recourse for me if, if that happens. In college basketball, we hear so much. It's business to business to business, and a lot of times that business is one way. And I credit Terrell and I credit Jarrett and Alex as well for putting themselves in a position where they have a little bit of leverage, you know, and the term loyalty is thrown around a lot, but you don't hear it often when a coach, you know, goes and takes a different job, which I'll never begrudge anybody for trying to improve their lot to feed their family. I'm never going to do that. So I'm never going to do that to a coach and I'm never going to do that to a player. And you know what, when you say that, it makes me go back to my own personal philosophy. It's always about relationships. You know, it gets hard to to, to leave someone when you know that uh, there's kind of like that love relationship where we're, we're just in this together and we're going to go all the way through the end. So our relationship is one that uh, can't be uh, 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 broken uh, because of business or whatever. But it, that's maybe a far gone time, Gazal. It was a time that uh, you could have the best relationship with a young guy and you didn't have to worry about anything other than him doing the best for you. And, and a player could look at a coach and know that that coach had a great love for me and he's going to do the best for me. But in, in today's times, it's so transient and, and transactional that, um, you know, everyone must do it, it, it what they feel is best for them. And, and that kind of saddens me because I, I know that I'm old school in a lot of ways. But uh, to me, if it were uh, me personally, I would always love to be able to have a relationship with a coach that means that till 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 graduation do us part. That means you stay and you don't seek that other job the moment we have a good season. And uh, the moment I have a great season, I'm not uh, listening to others who didn't call me when you called me first. But that's kind of a far gone uh, uh, thought that those days are long gone is all. Well, your grandson, JB, you can impart those values to him, uh, AC. Uh, <laughs> la- last last thing for you. We, we talked about Elijah a little bit. We talked about Terrell. How about Lamine? Um, I think you agree. You're the one who told me this. I mean, he'd pretty much done everything he was going to do in the Big West, and it was time for him to move on. You know, I think for Lamine, he's the one situation where I think I, I can remember this. One of the coaches, and actually it was Coach Pasternak. I kind of laughed when he said this, but he was being interviewed before CSUN was going to play uh, uh, Santa Barbara. And he talked about that uh, Lamine was a first round pick. Oh, Lamine's a pro. He's going to be a first round pick. And I kind of smiled and I laughed because, boy, those coaches, they want Lamine out of the conference because you throw <laughs> that out there and you know those kids are going to hear that. And so it's one of those nice things that the coaches kind of say, give a compliment, but come on, son, listen to me, go out the door. And uh, so, but Lamine did do it all. I mean, look, uh, player of the year, consecutive years, first team all conference, uh, you know, honorable mention, all American, all the things that the, had never happened at CSUN before. Uh, and I think that's what Terrell and, and probably Elijah uh, knew that uh, the team wouldn't be the same because it would be very difficult for Lamine to stay at CSUN with so many people, even coaches, letting him know that he had the ability to play professionally. And now with him getting a chance to to work eight hours a day solely on basketball, any of the flaws that uh, he might have if he doesn't get picked high or late in the second round, some team is going to look at him and say, we can help this guy get better. 
Yeah, and, and what people don't know is Lamine does have a good number of people around him advising him. He's not making this decision capriciously. Um, he's got advisors who are dialed into the NBA, who talk to scouts, who understand what the dynamic is. And he he did not make this decision lightly. I'm sure. Now, I haven't talked to him yet. I'm going to try to talk to him next week. But I'm sure he he leaned on those advisors to make this decision, uh, to make the move forth. Um, you know, Alan, you've, you've been at CSUN a long time. It's been nearly 20 years you've been involved with the program um, at, you know, as a broadcaster. Uh do me a favor, and I know this is tough. Where would you rank both Terrell and Lamine in the context of you know the great players that you've seen come through um, come through the Matadome? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I mean, Terrell, without a doubt, is the purest shooter that has ever come through uh, CSUN in re- in the in the realm of just being able to shoot the ball when he's open, and you know that shot is going. I would also rank him uh, top five as as a competitor. Uh, I I know that uh, my probably my top competitor, and I'd have to put them both together, would probably be Ian Boylan and Josh Green. I mean, they were very, very competitive individuals, different personality types, but very competitive. And uh, I would say Terrell Gomez is, is, is very competitive. But from a shooting standpoint, he's number one. Uh, Lamine Janae is probably the most lauded matador of all times because of what he did uh, with the back-to-back player of the year uh, for the conference and the All-American. But uh, there's nobody that's better than Brian Hindley. Uh, Brian Hindley, uh, what he did at a time when CSUN was really just uh, starting as a, uh, a Division One program, only maybe six years removed from Division Two, what he's able to accomplish and what he's able to get the Matador program to accomplish his senior year, uh, that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. So I would probably say uh, Terrell Gomez, top five all time because of his ability to be able to shoot. Lamine Janae, as far as records, he would be number one, but he didn't stay around long enough to be put in the same breath as some of the Hall of Famers like like a Marcus Carr or a Brian Hindley or an Ian Boylan. But uh, record wise, he's uh, he's the best when it comes to what he accomplished uh, with back to back player of the year. Yeah, I really think, I mean, if Lamine plays those 12 games this year, I think we really do have have a different view of him. I and mean, obviously he's a great player. And then I, w- I mean, really, if those two have an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, I think that would have really been a great finish for them uh, this season. Unfortunately, just we're never going to know. It didn't happen. Um, Alan, give me your final thoughts. What do you look to for next season with the Matadors? Well, the one thing that, that that's hopeful and I feel good about because they've they've lost so much in 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 Terrell in Lamine, um, but they've got quality young men in the program. I mean, I think of a Darius Brown the second. If you're gonna have a point guard that's gonna lead a young team, you're gonna have a junior now in Darius Brown the second. How fortunate are they to have him, an unselfish leader who is a captain who can really get everybody involved and help teach. Um, Alex Oko might be in the portal, but, you know, Alex sat out a year. I think that from my perspective, Alex Oko would be the kind of player that, you know, you might want to really keep hold of because he understands the system. So he could be a player that could come in and, and help with the character of the team. It's going to be about character. If you have character, if you have a desire to play hard and do your best for a program and the Matadors have a have have some players that will do that, they're going to be OK. 
They're going to be young. They're going to be inexperienced now because so many talented players have gone, but they do have an experienced coaching staff. I think uh, they're going to probably be where, as I mentioned, where coach came in, a team that is going to need to uh, be coached up. But uh, that's what they're they're challenged to do. And they do have enough at the base to uh, bring guys who are going to be new to the program to do well. Hey, Z, always great to speak with you on this. I know it's kind of tough. Uh, it's, it's kind of a tough situation right now all around. And hopefully in November we'll be talking about basketball and we'll have games and we can we can go from there and we'll be excited to see what this new Matador team is about. He is the PhD of the hardwood. Dr. Z, Alan Sinsmeister, is always to my left or to my right, depending on where we are in terms of the broadcast, the color analyst on the CSUN Sports Network. Thanks again for uh, talking a little CSUN basketball, EZ. Gazal, thank you so much, and uh, hey, go Matadors. Joining me via satellite from the, uh, the the greater San Fernando Valley is Blair Orr. Blair graduated last year from CSUN, was a, was a four-year performer on the basketball team after transferring out of Winnipeg. Big Blair, how are you? You're back from China. Uh, great to see you back in Southern California. Oh, I love it. There's There's no better place to be. We'll talk about your experience a little bit overseas, but the, the matter at hand right now is your old team had a great run at the end of the season. I know you were in the Matadome. It was great to see you there. What do you make of yep. kind of this mass exodus? Terrell leaving as a grad transfer, Lamine heading to the NBA, and Elijah Harkless heading to the, the transfer portal. You know what? As a Matador fan, I hate it. As someone who went through the transfer process, and when you look at what these guys are doing as a business decision, um, you got to you got to you got to think about. Yeah, we've been building. We have these pieces. They play well together. We want them to stay together for another year, especially with uh, the end of of this year that we had. Um, of course, we want all these things. When you look at the individual. Terrell Gomez made a business decision. He made a decision that is best for him personally, best for his family. He didn't, people are upset, you know, and people are starting to go, oh, I miss the days when someone would, would, you know, choose their school, they'd stay there, this and that, and, uh, you know, they take pride in where, in where they're at. Terrell Gomez had all the pride in the world. He, I know he loves CSUN. This is not a decision that he woke up. And just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. I want something new. This is something, and it might it might seem that way, because when we heard about him hitting the transfer portal, it was a matter of it was a short matter of days uh, before the announcement came out that he's going to San Diego State. It might seem like a short period of time, but he has definitely, without a doubt, prayed about it, talked to his family about it talked to a lot of people, a lot of mentors, and, and this is something that he's weighed all of his options, just knowing what kind of person he is. This is the best decision for him for his future. Um, going to this program was, was something that he weighed out. Um, this is just, this is not, oh, I just need something new or I gotta get away from CSUN. This is what is going to set Terrell Gomez up for the next few years so that he can have the most success. And that's why he made uh, that decision. Two things I love about Terrell. I mean, off the court meaning. I mean, he's a great player, obviously, but he's very thoughtful. 
and he's very candid. And he yeah. was very honest with me. He said, hey, yeah. if Lamine comes back and we win, you know, if we win the tournament and Lamine's coming back, i probably stay at CSUN. But he said, I started evaluating the odds to that. And I realized that I had to, you know, and, and, and listen, I give, I give Terrell credit because he put himself in the position where he could do this. By graduating early, he opened that door. He opened that option to himself to be able to go do this. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and we always talk about how this is about academics and it's about, hey, he's going to get his degree from CSUN and he's going to move on. And he put himself, he gave himself that leverage, which a lot of, a lot of players don't understand how that all works. And they're kind of, they get upset. They're at the yeah. behest of whatever, the coach or the AD. But if you put yourself in a position like Terrell did, uh, you can move on. But I think fundamentally what he thought was he knew if he wanted to play at the next level, he's going to need to be a point guard and play on ball more. And he wanted to play for a winning team. Yeah. With San Diego State, they probably would have gone to the Final Four this year. They had a fantastic team this year, and they're going to have a fantastic team next year. So I can't begrudge Terrell for his decision, yeah. obviously. Um you know, he did, and I, you know, I give him credit because he did, until the last minute, he said, hey, don't count Northridge out, you know. And then he right. kind of very, if right. you listen to the interview, he just very, he broke it down. He said, hey, this is why this is why I choose these particular schools. He has relationships. And, you know, yep. he's got people advising him who are not going to have him make a bad decision or a capricious decision, which I respect right. a lot. And you were in that locker room with him since he was a freshman, so I think you have a, you have a pretty good beat on what kind of guy Terrell Gomez is. And, and that's and that's why I say I know he didn't this was not a decision just to get up and go this was a decision hey what's going to be best for him because you know getting up and go if he wanted to go see a different part of the country he just wanted to get out you got Arkansas you got Washington that, that were knocking on his door that he was heavily considering mm-hmm. San Diego State like you said is going to be his best shot to get on the stage get in front of the right people I mean yeah he has the national attention but if things go downhill, not saying that they will, not hoping that they will, at Northridge, if they have a lackluster year, uh, you know, if Lamine goes and if a bunch of other guys go and leave CSUN and Terrell decides to stay, well, now he's stuck in a rebuilding year and that's not going to help him with moving on. So SDSU has a, has a great program. They have a good uh, close-knit group of guys. Um, they did some great things next year. Um, and like I said, as a Matador fan, you hate to see it. You hate to, to, to see so much change when there was so much promise. But as a Terrell Gomez fan, I can tell you what, uh, next year I'll probably be living in Sacramento. I will be flying down to go to San Diego State games next year. And I told him that. I texted him that the other day. I can guarantee I will be at some San Diego State games. Uh, let's move on to Lamine Jr. Well, first of all, before this, do you think... So the tournament obviously canceled because of the pandemic. If this team yep. wins the Big West tournament this year, do you think Terrell would have moved on have, having won that the, that Big West tournament and got an opportunity to play in the NCAA? Because I do think... And he, he told me that, you know, it would have been a different decision had this team had the opportunity to perhaps win that tournament and play in the NCAA. I think with the momentum that they had, with the personnel that they had, they would have won the Big West. And then, okay, you say, okay, you won the Big West. You go in and you make a run in in the uh, in March Madness. All eyes are on you. It's a great, great 
it, it opens up so many opportunities for him. It opens up so many doors. Would his decision now changes? It's not, oh, should I go somewhere else? It's, hey, should I move on and go play professionally? You know, and, and it's kind of the same thing where if they would have made a run in, in the national championship or in, uh, in, in March Madness, Lamine would have, would have been in a better position to leave and go to the NBA than, than what he is right now. And, and so there was going to be change regardless. And it, I think it would have been better for uh, Terrell to move on to the next stage. So, I mean, there was going to be movement regardless of, of how this season ended. You're with Lamine. You brought him up. I know you talked to him recently. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on Lamine declaring for the NBA draft? I mean, it seemed to me he'd pretty much done all he could do at that at that level. I think uh, let's let's face facts. You know, people want to people want to say this and that. Let's face facts. He did not help himself this year by missing out the the beginning of the year. He did not. It was out of his control that he missed that nobody had playoffs. Those are two big times that are taken. I mean, I mean that's when you have your eyes, uh, when you have eyes on you. Last year, he had eyes on him in the preseason because he was putting up all these numbers. He's best in the nation for this and that, and it, it was great. However, he didn't help himself this year. It is what it is. His biggest challenge right now going into the draft is he has to put on size. He has the skill, the talent, you know, he has development uh he has to develop you know defensive uh uh principles and, and stuff like that uh he's he's got heart but he needs to put on the size because when he goes to the league he's going to be playing against grown men and he has to get in front of the right people this year and that's because he missed out the beginning of this year and he missed out playoffs in his pro day this summer and in his workouts, he has to get in front of the right people. And I, I talked to him uh, this past week. I was texting back and forth uh, multiple days this week. Hey, you know, if I can help, let me know. Um, you know, we just got to get him in front of the right people. When you look at our coaching staff, they have the power to get him in front of the right people. What his plan right now is, I'm not entirely sure, but that is going to be his biggest challenge this summer, or his, the most important thing. I shouldn't say challenge. That's going to be the most important thing for him this summer is getting in front of the right people uh, that, that's going to make the difference on the start of his career. The The scouts have been on him, though, Blair. I mean, I know because they would sit right next to me, you know, and I know he has, I pe- love it. Yeah. He has people around him we're not going to let him make a, yeah. a precious decision. So those are two things, and you're right. I agree with yeah. 100 of what you're saying. Um, but those are two things that I yeah. think we don't, we you know, we can't lose sight of. That he's got people advising him. We're not going to allow him to make a dumb decision. Yeah. And then the scouts have been on him. Yeah, yeah, you know, is it better if he'd gotten a chance to play against Auburn and Richmond and Oregon State? Of course, it's a better sample for them to evaluate. But they've been on him since the middle of last year, and there are teams that there are three or four teams that were there every time. So I'm looking. That's what I'm looking at with regard to, to what Lamine. And then obviously, as you said, we know talent-wise he's there. Is he willing to do all the little things that you need to do? You know that level. You know, and I, I talked to I talked to our friend Isaac Jacob, who's now with the Sacramento Kings staff, yeah. and he just tells me he's like, you know, the big difference between the college and the NBA is man. 
every possession is just it's a war every possession for those guys and you know you I think you can you told me a similar story when you were playing with pros over the summer about man you gotta have a short memory yeah I, I, I think especially when you see when you look at the, the Northridge games and you see when Lamine gets going and the ball's in his hands and he definitely has that takeover ability there's no question about it um it's but it is a it is a man's game at the next level. Um, so I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be be interesting. You don't know him as well, but I know you played with Elijah for a year. He's in the portal now. He really had a yeah. rough year as a freshman. Very good year as a sophomore. I'm wondering if he's just putting yeah. his name in the portal in the event that in June they do that one time transfer rule where you don't have to sit out because I think now that's why the grad transfers are such a premium. Because it's hard for a school to offer you a scholarship and not have you play for a year. Right. Right. Um, you know what? I mean, it's you never want to close doors. And that was my biggest thing when I transferred was I didn't want to close a door. Um, you know, tra- transferring from Canada was a little different. Uh, coming in as a walk-on, it was a little different. Um, but you never want to close doors Hopefully, if this op- opens up opportunities and there's a better opportunity, like just like I said for Terrell, we're looking at the individual. As a matter of fan, it sucks to lose a guy who's so high energy like that. And and I love having him in the program. I was ecstatic that he didn't transfer after uh, after last year. So so my last year after his freshman year, I was ecstatic that he came back because he started out the year had great minutes and as the year went on uh, it, it started to kind of trickle down and, and so I, I really didn't know if he was going to come back and I was ecstatic that he did and we saw a great year from him and I, I absolutely love it um, but for for him I mean we got to look at the individual what's best for the, for the individual for me uh, leaving Canada was the best option for me what is the best option for Elijah Harkless we we don't necessarily know. We hope it's to stay at Northridge, and we just hope it's you know now him, Darius, and some other uh, transfers and guys that are coming in uh, can now be the new face and can play well together, and they have experience playing together. But uh, time will tell. Um, talk about your career a little bit. Um, you had an opportunity to go play yeah. professionally in China this year. It got cut short, obviously, yeah. with the yeah. pandemic. What, what was that like, man? It's just a bizarre situation. It had to be culture shock for you to go be playing professionally in China, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're back because of this, this pandemic deal. It was it was a lot of uh, constant movement. You know, hey, right now this opportunity is here. you got to take it. And so I got a call one day, and it was on a Wednesday, and it was, hey, can you be on a plane to China this weekend? I said, oh, you know, that's that's a short notice, but I'm not in the position to say no, so let's do it. And I get a call 15 minutes later saying, oh, uh, well, they booked your flight, and it's actually for tomorrow morning. Uh, so it was just kind of pack up and go. And I loved every second I was in China. Uh, the people in China are incredibly hospitable. They're amazing people. I got to see some amazing places. I got to have, you know, everything that I wanted out of it. Um, you know, packed stadiums. Um, you 
ago where there's, I mean, my first game, we had over double the amount of people that had ever been to a game in the Matadome. And so, uh, you know, we're not talking about NBA-sized arenas, but it's, it's a lot of people. And just that environment is, is that's where I wanted. I wanted to go somewhere where basketball was appreciated. Um, I wanted to go somewhere where I would see a different culture. And I got everything out of that. And when the virus hit and they started closing down airports, I, I had no interest in seeing how bad it was going to get. And I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, just book a flight for the next day and get out of there. Um, but since then, uh, Indonesia, the Philippines, multiple teams in Mexico and then teams in China are, are asking me to come back and, and you look at what's happening what's happening here is happening all over the world mm-hmm. and in other countries their number one priority is not hey let's get basketball players back on the court they're worried about their own people so when you think about the next two years at least of professional sports overseas it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get that cash flow from that attendance. And it's going to be tough to go out there and make enough money for it to be worth it. Because at some point, you have to say, hey, is $1,500 or $2,000 a month even worth it to go play in another in another country? Yeah, you get these experiences. But what's better for your future? And so, uh, and, and that is what, it's going to trickle down to there's there's going to be people who are still going to take you know less than fifteen hundred dollars a month to go play professionally um and and it's it's tough on some people some people do it for the love of basketball um but it's going to be tough to go overseas now it already it was already starting to get to that but now with the virus it's going to get tougher I had been reading some 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 things on social media from Americans who are overseas in various countries talking about, you know, there are a couple guys in China talking about it and a couple guys in Europe explaining kind of how things are going and, and they're there. I mean, they're they're kind of stuck there because they can't get out of the country yeah. right now. So you probably made the right decision. Um, I know where you said you played in Michael O's hometown. It, it, did he did how how was that how was that experience like? Uh, so Michael O probably lives uh, I couldn't tell you time wise. Probably, probably a good hour and a half drive oh, okay. outside of Guangzhou, right? Which is a, a major town, and I was about a twenty. I lived twenty minutes away from his hometown, okay. Uh, so it was great. Mike and I were texting back and forth. I got to meet some of his friends, uh, um, and it, it was it was a great experience. And he was able to to help me with some things and. Uh, but it was just, it's one of those crazy things. It's a small world of all places I could have been in this massive country, you know, 1.4 billion people <laughs> and a teammate that I had in college the year prior where we basically swapped places on earth. Uh, again, Blair, thanks for giving us some time. Before I let you go, how's your, how are you doing now? How's your family doing now? Everything working out okay for you now that you're back in the States? Yeah, um, you know, my, my family's healthy. We're just trying to be smart during this, uh, everything that's going on. Um, you know, basketball, I've, I've just kind of made a business decision going back to what I just said about the future of overseas basketball. It's, it's a business decision not to, uh, it's in my best interest to not go back. Um, I loved every second I was in China, but I have so many opportunities 
for my career and getting my career off the ground and starting now and all the networking that I've been able to do. Um, I, it's just, God is amazing in the way that he works because that door closed, but about, you know, five amazing doors opened back home. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't really complain. Blair, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Obviously, blessings of the holiday to you and your family this weekend. And I'm sure I'll be hitting you up again. Thanks for the insight. Really appreciate it. The great Blair Orr, a true matador.